Welcome everybody yet to another episode of the Nails Read Ortho Podcast. You are tuned into our OITE reviews. My name is Dr. Cole. Myself and Dr. Fitz started this podcast to go over high yield material, but you are now tuned into our OITE review featuring myself and Dr. Spencer Woolwine. So, uh, without further ado, let us kind of just go ahead and jump right into it. And if this is your first time listening to this, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and follow us on social media at Nailed It Ortho on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You are now listening to Nailed It, the orthopedic surgery podcast featuring doctors Jay Fitz and Wendell Cole. And uh, I think next is uh, go ahead and, and, and jump into some, some knee stuff here. Yeah, yeah. The knee will, the knee will just about uh, finish it up, I think, for the sports-related uh, stuff. And uh, then I think we'll get into uh, shoulder pathology in the athletes, like slap tears and rotator cuff injuries and uh ulnar collateral ligament stuff in the shoulder and elbow series oh man all that fun stuff well yeah. um well let's get let's, let's let's hop right into it then so talking about the knee uh let's just kind of go over some general knee anatomy because there are a lot of questions about anatomy and then like physical exam and history uh, which are key things that may be some easier points to get on the exam so what nerve actually just innervates the knee joint uh, that's going to be the posterior articular branch of the posterior tibial uh, nerve. Um, and uh, that's going to help provide kind of that, some of that proprioception and obviously that uh, just any other uh, inflammation within the knee, synovitis is going to be felt through that posterior articular branch of the uh, posterior tibial artery. And uh, where in relation to the PCL, does the nutrient artery to the tibia uh, insert? Yeah, so it's right below the PCL insertion, uh, and I think that's just that's just you know something good to know um, about the, the blood supply. But it's going to be right below the PCL insertion, uh, and so when we're looking at you know the, the articular cartilage of the knee, what type of collagen makes up the articular cartilage of the knee? Uh, the so the articular cartilage made up of uh, mostly type two collagen which provides that kind of structural framework. And uh, with uh, osteoarthritis, um, you're going to see uh, increased water and decreased proteoglycans. And a lot of that is really because of the wear and tear breaks down that type two collagen. And so you, you get less of a uh, kind of structure to the cartilage, which lets more water in to the uh, cartilage itself. Um, and I think in the basic science talk, we'll get more into the difference between normal aging versus uh, osteoarthritis uh, and the articular differences between the two. Uh, but uh, getting back into the uh, ligamentous uh, structures of the knee, what's the origin and attachment side of the ACL? Yep. So straight anatomy, um, ACL originates at the lateral femoral condyle and it crosses the knee and inserts on the anterior aspect of the tibia. Uh, now, one of the, what's one of the main arteries that supply the ACL? That's going to be the uh, middle geniculate artery um, off the uh, popliteal uh, or in the popliteal fossa. And uh, the ACL is uh, 
really it's not just one structure it's it's actually two separate bundles uh what are those bundles and, and what are the functions of each of those yep so two bundles uh you have the anterior medial bundle and then the posterior lateral bundle so the anterior medial bundle and then you know this is described from where it inserts on the tibia um, so the, the anterior medial bundle is going to be tight in flexion and it is going to limit the amount of translation uh, of the tibia. And then our posterior lateral bundle is going to be tight in extension and helps control tibial rotation. Uh, so what is the, what's the name of the structure that runs vertically? You know, we're talking about these two different bundles, but there, there's a structure that runs vertically with the knee when, when the knee is in 90 degrees of flexion, that divides these two ACL bundles. What is that called? That's going to be the lateral uh, bifurcate ridge, um, which is, I believe, different than the residence ridge. It might be the same thing. Uh, oh, yeah. Talk about that residence ridge being that area where... Um, you know, uh, historically, residents have only uh, debrided to then. But then when you go a little bit more posterior, you find out there is yeah. a, you're not within those two uh, two millimeters of that posterior uh, of that posterior wall. And you're uh, you are a little anterior. So that's what they talk yeah. about, that, that residence ridge. Yeah, the, the residence ridge is the lateral intercondylar ridge. And then the lateral bifurcate ridge is what separates the anterior medial and posterior lateral bundles of the uh, ACL. So uh, yeah, you want to make sure that you're not confusing the lateral intercondylar ridge as a uh, lighthouse for where you're going to place the ACL uh, femoral tunnel because then you will uh, mess up the uh, knee mechanics. But uh, the lateral bifurcate ridge commonly just taken down while you're debriding the ACL for an ACL reconstruction. However, uh, it may be useful to keep it around for those out there uh, interested and those that are doing the double bundle reconstructions. I think I learned, started learning about that. I think when I, when I was interviewing, I was over at Pitt and, you know, you talk about Dr. Freddie Fu, who, you know, has done a lot of research, uh, you know, with the, with the double bundle technique. So yeah, there mm -hmm. are, um, there are differing um, techniques when you, you know, look at ACL reconstruction, single bundle versus double bundle and, Transtibial, and you know, there's a there's there, there's a a lot of information out there. Yeah, stuff that I hey for all of you interested in sports out there, you do you <laughs> you do. You. Um, but uh, so uh, now we know that there's two bundles of the ACL. One controls the rotation, that posterior lateral bundle. One controls that uh, limb translation, the anterior medial bundle. Uh, but uh, what about the PCL? Where does it uh, originate and attach? Yeah, so the PCL uh, origin is going to be opposite of the ACL. It's going to be the medial femoral condyle, and this is going to be going posteriorly, and it's going to attach on kind of that posterior uh, or insert on that posterior tibial sulcus. And again, you know, you have two bundles with the PCL, which are uh, very similar to the ACL, but instead for the PCL, you have your anterior lateral and then your posterior medial bundle. And the anterior lateral is going to be tight in flexion. Posterior medial is going to be tight in extension. And I, I think just an easy way to remember this is like the more anterior something attaches is it's going to be tighter in flexion. <laughs> the more posterior yeah. something is going to be tighter in extension. 
And if you just yep. that, you yep. know, and you just try to like picture looking at a knee from the side, something attaches more anterior, then you flex it and then femur goes back, it's going to be tighter. So uh, just know that. Uh, what are these uh, menisco femoral ligaments? Have you, have you ever heard of these? I remember it was a good pimp question uh, when I was rotating and, uh, and, and yeah, they, they will show up, uh, on exams for whatever reason. I don't know. They just, maybe they needed to fill in a, a question here or there, but, uh, they'll usually show a, um, a sagittal MRI view right at the, uh, middle, uh, part of the knee, right at that kind of intercondylar ridge where you can see, uh, the PCL really nicely uh, attach from the femur into the proximal tibia. And these meniscofemoral ligaments, one is called the uh, ligament of Humphrey and one is the ligament of Wurzburg. The ligament of Humphrey is a tubular structure that you'll see traversing anterior to the PCL, whereas the Wurzburg is going to be posterior to the PCL. Easiest way for me to remember that is just alphabetical. Uh, H is anterior, H is first in the alphabet, W is posterior, and uh, further along in the alphabet. So uh, I guess it's it's one of those, if it shows up, then you got an easy point on the test, then you just move on. Um, Yep. But, uh, and then even uh, more elusive and and uh, confusing to me are the uh, <laughs> posterior medial and posterior lateral corners of the knee. But what structures make up the posterior medial corner? Yeah, so when you when you think about the posterior medial corner, and you think of it kind of just you can think of it of, of, of a layered approach, right? So uh, you have your sartorius, uh, and then below that you have your superficial uh, medial collateral ligament. You have your uh, posterior oblique uh, ligament and your semimembranosus, and then deep to that you're going to have your deep MCL. So that's what's going to make that posterior medial corner and then on the opposite side of that when you think of your posterior lateral corner and you again we can kind of go in a somewhat later approach you have your biceps femoris your iliotibial band and then you also have your uh when you go to your next level you can have your lcl uh you have your uh, popliteus uh, uh nerve not nerve popliteus muscle which uh which internally rotates the tibia that's a question i think that they, they they ask that but the popliteus um, internally rotates to the tibia. That's when you have, that's why when you have a posterior lateral corner injury, you have w- way more external rotation. And then you also have your popliteal fibular ligament. Um, there are some out there that may say that there is also an anterior lateral ligament as well, uh, which helps contribute to the posterior lateral corner. Some say it exists, some say it doesn't. Uh, you can listen to our episode with Dr. Paisecki to learn more about. ALLs and their anatomy slash uh, reconstructions, um, but that is besides the point. We actually, and I think we actually have a, a episode with Dr. Uh, Jorge Shala, which he talks about more in depth about the posterior lateral corner um, and you know, kind of addressing and managing these injuries. If you all want to listen in more on that, um, so again, posterior medial corner was our sart- sartorius superficial MCL, our uh, POL uh, semimembranosus, and our deep MCL. In our posterior lateral corner, you have your biceps, femoris, iliotibial band, LCL, popliteus, and popliteal fibular ligament. Now, now, what is the key restraint? Now, when we're, you know, say we move forward, we're looking at the patellofemoral joint. What is the key restraint to lateral translation of the patella from zero to 20 degrees of deflection? 
that is going to be the MPFL or medial patellofemoral ligament, um, which is uh, we're going to cover a little bit here in the uh, in the future when we're talking about uh, uh, kind of Q angle and tibial tubercle to trochlear groove distance uh, and all of that. So the MPFL is what is is a primary restraint for lateral translation of the patella and is the structure that is most commonly reconstructed for patients with recurrent uh, lateral patellar uh, dislocations um, that have failed non-operative management. Um, and we talked about uh, the cartilage of the knee being made up primarily of type two collagen, but uh, what about the uh, menisci? Yeah, so the meniscus or the menisci will, uh, are primarily made up of type one collagen, which is also another test question that I, or another answer that I've been that I've seen. And you know, of course, if you remember the, the meniscus, you have you know longitudinal and radial fibers. If y'all want more info about meniscus, check out episode I believe three with Dr. Strauss, where he goes more into the anatomy and uh, introduction to. Um, uh, meniscus tears, but again, it's going to be primarily made up of type one um, collagen. Now, what are what are some um, uh, differences between, like you know, the you know anatomical difference that is between the lateral and the medial meniscus? The uh, they're really going to follow the uh, anatomic differences in the actual uh, tibial plateau as well. Whereas um, the medial tibial plateau is usually larger and uh, a more uh, concave uh, shape rather than the smaller and more convex uh, surface of the proximal tibia. But the uh, menisci are the lateral is going to be uh, more semicircular in shape, it's going to be more mobile and it inserts near the ACL. And, and what I mean by more mobile, um, because of how the knee works in a hinge pattern, there's also a rotational component to it as we flex our knee that results in that femoral rollback. Um, and we'll probably do a, a biomechanics uh, talk about all of that stuff, but because of the femoral rollback and the more convex nature of the lateral tibial plateau, you have more translation of the tibia on the femur there. So you need a more mobile uh, meniscus in that region. So the lateral one is more semicircular, it's more mobile and it inserts near the ACL when you compare it to the medial meniscus. Um, and then uh, let's say yeah, you have a, a soccer uh, player, they come into your office and um, they're, they're telling you about a, a non-contact uh, twisting injury. Um, what are you concerned about? Yeah, so exactly. Buzzwords, you know, you definitely want to have an ACL tear, an ACL injury on your mind. And, and some of the key things that you want to, that they'll, you know, at least mention in the uh, vignette or even in real life that you want to ask about is, you know, is there a history of a pop as well as swelling? Uh, and, and those are things that clue you in towards an ACL injury. And then on physical examination, if they have a positive uh, Lachman exam, which is where you anteriorly translate the tibia at around 30 degrees of knee flexion, 
And then if you have a positive pivot and shift test, and uh, Dr. Paiseki did a great job explaining explaining uh, what this pivot and shift test is and how it works. But uh, just to just to reiterate or, or say exactly how it is. So on a pivot and shift test uh, in an ACL deficient knee, uh, the lateral in extension, the lateral tibial plateau is going to be subluxed anteriorly. And then so when you do this test and you start to flex their knee, the iliotibial band will tighten and then you'll have a, a reduction of that lateral tibial plateau. And sometimes you can see like a, you know, a clunk or you'll, you'll see that, that pivot and shift. So that's going to be a positive pivot and shift test. Now, uh, now, when we talk about the opposite, about PCL injuries, what are some things that, uh, that is a key feature of the history uh, and physical exam with PCL injuries? So typically, that will be more of a, an axial load onto a flexed knee and plantar flexed foot uh, or a dashboard type injury. So uh, car crash and you have direct traumatic posterior translation of the tibia in relation to the distal femur, uh, putting that PCL on stretch. Because as we know, the ACL prevents anterior translation of the uh, tibia, while a PCL prevents posterior translation. So uh, something that's going to put posterior force on the tibia is going to um, lead to a PCL injury. And you're going to diagnose this by uh, positive posterior drawer test and really a posterior sag. Uh, so before you even do the posterior drawer test, you're putting up both of the patient's knees at about 90 degrees of flexion while they're laying flat on the examination table. And you may see one, one side has this just sag of the tibia in relation to the femur. It doesn't, it really just doesn't look quite normal um, before you even do the posterior drawer test. Um, and then obviously we'll probably get into all this stuff. And I think we all know this once we're at this stage in our training that uh, the key for soft tissue uh, injury diagnoses around the knee is uh, MRI. So that's how we're going to look for these ACL and PCL um, injuries here. And uh, so kind of part of uh, the extensive knee exam when you're concerned about either a single versus multi-ligamentous injury, um, what is the difference between uh, opening to varus and valgus stress at only 30 degrees versus uh, 30 degrees of flexion versus full flexion or full extension, excuse me. So straight yeah. leg versus 30 degrees of flexion. Yeah. So again, you know, you're, you know, we're, we're testing our collateral ligaments or medial and our lateral collateral ligament. And so if you, apply a various uh, stress at 30 degrees and then you have opening that may clear in towards the lateral uh, collateral ligament injury versus vice versa if you apply no I think I just said it no I said it right if you apply a, uh, a valgus stress and there's opening uh, that may clear you in towards a uh, MCL tear at 30 degrees uh, but if you have opening at birth 30 degrees and in full extension uh, uh, if, so if you have opening in full extension that may clear you in towards not only a collateral injury, but an injury to one of the cruciate ligaments as well. So that could be a combined injury. So if it only opens at 30 degrees, that's going to be an isolated collateral injury versus if it opens in full extension, um, that clues you in towards you may have something else going on besides just a collateral, uh, a collateral ligament injury. And uh, speaking on, since we're just on physical exams of, of the knee, 
uh, one of the tests is a, a dial test. And what is a positive dial test and, and what is that indicative of? So a dial test is done with a patient laying uh, flat on their stomach um, with their uh, knees flexed at either 30 degrees or 90 degrees. And then you're, you're manually externally rotating both of the feet at the same time because you have to it's rare that they'll have injury to both knees if they do then they do and you can cross that bridge when you get there but for test taking purposes they'll always have a normal side and an abnormal side and at 30 degrees of flexion with the patient lying flat on the table stomach down um, increased external rotation at 30 degrees of flexion indicates an isolated posterior lateral corner injury and then flexing the knees up to 90 degrees and doing the same external rotation with increased external rotation at 90 degrees, you have a combined posterior lateral corner plus a uh, PCL injury. And uh, it's key to do both aspects of that exam because uh, under treatment is going to lead to an unstable knee and, and early development of arthritis if a uh, the PCL is reconstructed, but the PLC isn't addressed or vice versa. So um, what other uh, physical exam maneuvers may be positive um, in a, a collateral slash posterior lateral corner plus a PCL uh, injury? Yeah, so this may be, you know, you worried about a posterior lateral corner and PCL. You may have a positive posterior lateral drawer test, uh, which there are many techniques and different ways how to do this, but uh, what you do with this is, you know, you have the knee somewhere around nine degrees of flexion. You have some external rotation and you apply a uh, like a posterior and external rotation type um, stress to the proximal tibia. And you sometimes get opening with that. Um, so if that's positive, um, that's that posterior lateral drawer test. And these patients may also have increased varus and then tibial uh, external rotation Um Again, the increased uh, varus because, of course, your LCL is out and then uh, increased tubular external rotation because you have a posterior lateral corner injury. Uh, so what is a what is a positive J sign? If we if we switch gears, you know, we've talked about our cruciate ligaments. We talked about our um, our collateral ligaments and talked a little bit about our um, some of our corner injuries. Uh, and now we're going ahead and transition into the patellofemoral joint. Um, so what what is a positive J sign? So the J sign is seen with uh, patellofemoral instability, and I briefly talked about the MPFL being the primary restraint to lateral uh, patellar uh, translation uh, in the first 20 degrees of knee flexion. But what you see with J sign tracking or the positive J sign is when the patient is uh, in a seated position or supine, and the knee is extended from a flexed position, uh, you'll see a lateral deviation of the patella uh, at the terminal phase of extension. So as they go from flexion to extension, you'll see this kind of like little pop out laterally, uh, looking like a, like a J. And um, I understand if it's confusing uh, to you, um, a simple Google search for J sign of the knee will give you a bunch of pictures versus uh, videos of this. And basically what is uh, happening is 
there's already a slight lateral translation of the patella in full extension. And as you flex the knee, it's able to track into the trochlear groove and pass normally. But over time, that wear and tear will start to become more and more noticeable and may even lead to just outright patellar instability. So looking for that J sign may indicate a uh, an unstable patella or one that may need surgical uh, intervention in the future. Um, and uh, we haven't really talked a lot about imaging of the knee. Um, obviously we start off with x-rays uh, just like every other part of the body. Um, what are some of the common radiographic uh, findings in uh, common knee injuries and their significance? Yeah, so, you know, something common is if you're looking at a lateral of the knee, if they have patella alta, that may clue you in towards patellar instability. Uh, patella alta, there are numerous ways to uh, describe this. One easy way is if you look at Blumensatz line, and that should kind of be at the inferior border of the patella, but the, that's not necessarily as reproducible because if the knee's in full extension, it won't be there. So I think this, it needs, needs to be in at least 30 degrees of flexion or give or take. And then there are a lot of different other uh, ratios such as the Blackburn Peel and the Catan Duchamp's ratio, which uh, give you, which are ratios uh, of the, you know, of the length of patella to the tubercle versus the articular surface of the patella to the top of the tibial plateau. Um, there are a lot of different ratios that you can look up to uh, help determine the patellar height, but patella alta. Another one is if you have a second fracture or what this is, is you have an AP of the tibia and you look and you see around the, the lateral tibia, there's a little avulsion fracture. And what this is, it's a lateral, it's a avulsion of the lateral capsule. And this can clue you in towards an ACL injury. If you have a flex sign, and for this, they'll typically show you like a sunrise view of the knee, and you'll see a small version of the MPFL from the patella, so you'll see a little piece of bone uh, that, that can clue you in, again, towards um, uh, patellar instability and an MPFL avulsion. If you're looking at an AP of the knee and you see kind of what seems to look like a square lateral condyle, that may clue you in towards a discoid meniscus. And then again, if you're looking at an AP of the knee and you see an avulsion of the uh, of the MCL on the on the femoral side, um, this is also known as a Pellegrini estiata fracture. So um, that may be just that term may just be good to know. I guess maybe you can impress an attending or something. Uh, if they ask about that, I think I've been asked about that one time in fracture conference in, uh, in my in my very short uh, uh, limited experience in residency in a couple of years. Uh, but that is good to know. Uh, what can you evaluate for with, you know, kind of these weight bearing PA knee films, uh, otherwise known as these Rosenberg films? So they are crucial for. Uh, osteoarthritis. Um, you'll see them a lot in an arthroplasty practice where uh, once a weight-bearing uh, force is placed on the knee, um, that's when you can see the true level of uh, cartilage wear and arthritis, whereas just a supine x-ray can, can lead to uh, uh, kind of a normal appearing knee, but when they weight bear, it's different. Uh, but also for uh, osteochondral uh, defects or uh, OCDs and to evaluate the notch, if there's any pathology uh, associated with the notch, that's when you're gonna get these uh, weight bearing PA knee films with the knee in a slight degree of flexion. 
Um, but yeah, going back to that Pellegrini uh, steata or steata fracture. Um, yeah, the, I just learned about that because I was uh, I'm on arthroplasty or I finished on arthroplasty, and on the trauma list uh, I saw Pellegrini steata fracture. Uh, and I was like, what is, what is that? And it was seriously, it was like three weeks, it was three weeks ago. And I looked at it and I was like, how, how did they know that? And it was one of our uh, second year residents who's like, uh, I mean, he's, he's smarter than anyone I know. And he's, he's like, oh yeah, I, I just knew that. And I was like, that's weird that you just knew that. Nobody just knows. What Nobody just knows these things. <laughs> Yeah. So, but he does. He's he's a he's an awesome guy. Uh, but uh, yeah, he he's the one who identified it. So, um, useful information. Probably, I don't know. Probably not. But still impressive, none the least. But it is impressive. Um, Somebody's gonna get that question right from listening to this. Exactly. Um, so like, like, you're, you're welcome. Smart. That lady's smart. You're welcome. You can buy me a beer later or something. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so we've done the the weight bearing PA films. Um, but, uh, you can also do stress radiographs of the knee and what are you kind of looking for in the stress radiographs? Yeah. And, and so in these stress radiographs, you can, you can use them to see if you can identify questionable like MCL or LCL injuries. So what you do is you apply a varus or valgus force, and then you look for opening on the, on the x-rays, either medially or laterally, and that can clue you in, um, towards, you know, a varus or a valgus or MCL or LCL injury. And then you can also do a, a stress, you know, the stress of PCL as well um, and, and get lateral x-rays to see how, how far it subluxes. Um, but, you know, the, the, these are all this kind of things that clue you in towards what may be going on in the knee. And we briefly mentioned them a little bit earlier, but if we're looking on a lateral of the knee, uh, what are some ways you can kind of determine the patellar height? Uh, yeah, there's, um, I mean, like you said, there's the uh, Catan de Champs, there's the Insol Savati, there's the Blackburn Peel. I'm not going to really go into those in terms of the differences because I don't think that there's a one that's better than the other. I think that they just kind of look at different ratios and uh, compare them uh, to themselves. Um, but uh, I I probably use the Insol Salvati ratio the most which is uh the uh, length of the patellar articular surface in relation to the uh, length of the inferior pole of the patella to the tibial tubercle and uh, you wanted a ratio i believe of around one where if it's less than 0.9 then you have uh patella baja and if it's greater than 1.1 or 1.2 um it's uh, patella alta um and a lot of this is really just comes down. And I tell my juniors this all the time to look at as many normal x-rays as you can, or, or really just look at as many x-rays as you can so that you can then find out what looks normal and what looks abnormal. And you'll slowly begin to realize like, oh, wow, that lateral and knee x-ray, like it just doesn't look right. And then you can go into measuring all the ratios if you want to, but you'll, you'll, get kind of clued into knowing what is a normal patellar height versus not. And uh, I think that that's kind of the key uh, is to just look at as much of this stuff as possible. But um... thank you all for listening to this episode and we will see you again next week 
But one last thing, if you have not, please go and leave us a review in iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher. However you listen to this, please go and do that. All right, until next time.